He's Hacker. I'm a sausage guy. Yeah, that butcher shop with the juicy breasts. I like that. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I have always liked Florida State. And now I do realize why people don't like Florida Gator fans. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. But Shad Khan, the owner, didn't see it that way. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as now all eyes turn to Nashville, Tennessee, Sunday at 1 o'clock. The Jacksonville Jaguars win, and they are in the playoffs for the second straight year as AFC South champions. If they lose, they're probably done for the year. Now, I know a couple of things could happen, and they could sneak in the back door as the final wild card. One of those things would require Baltimore beating Pittsburgh and come to find out that Lamar Jackson and numerous Baltimore starters are not going to play on Saturday. So I would not count on that. So it basically comes down to the same situation you had a year ago. Week 18 against the Tennessee Titans, you win, you are a division champion, you lose, your season comes to an end. We got a lot to get into the rest of the week, certainly. It begins tonight. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, my friend Jason Cole. He's covered the National Football League for years. We're going to talk Jaguars. We're going to talk Titans. We're going to talk AFC South. But Jason Cole is also a pro football Hall of Fame voter. He has been a voter for many years. He will be in the room, as we call it, when the argument for Fred Taylor is made. And I want to talk to Jason about that. As a voter, what does he think about Fred Taylor's candidacy? What does he think about Fred Taylor's chances here in 2024? So Jason Cole, NFL writer, pro football, Hall of Fame voter, Jaguar fans, he's coming up in less than 15 minutes. We will go to Nashville later on in the 8 o'clock hour. My guy up in Nashville is Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast, and we'll get the Titans' perspective on this game on Sunday. Is it mailing it in? Are they going to battle for Mike Vrabel? Potentially Derrick Henry's final home game. How much is the spoiler card being played up in Nashville this week, knowing they could ruin the Jaguar season? So we'll have Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast. He is coming up in about a half an hour or so. Glad you're with us on a Wednesday. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night. And Dylan. Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. I'll tell you what a big deal is. Let me call an audible. Dylan Denmark. We have a little breaking news, if you will. Let's hit it right now. This just on Hacker After Dark. The Pro Bowl rosters announced in the National Football League The Jacksonville Jaguars tonight have two Pro Bowlers. Josh Allen, 16 and a half sacks, certainly 
warranted. Heck, he might be in the conversation for defensive player of the year. So Josh Allen has been named to the Pro Bowl. Only two guys, though. Josh Allen will be joined by Ross Matisic, the long snapper. He's been named to the Pro Bowl as well. Let me stop right there for a second. Evan Ingram, anybody? Foyer Aluakun, anybody? I mean, what on earth are we doing here? How can a tight end with over 100 grabs not be a pro bowler? How can a guy that's led the league in tackles last year, I believe is number three in tackles this year, not be a pro bowler? I mean, congratulations to Josh Allen and to Ross Matisic, but good heavens. Evan Ingram, Foye Aluakin, among others that would deserve some sense of place in the Pro Bowl game, or games, I guess, how they're doing it now. Wow, I'm sure they're going to be alternates, but that is very surprising. But again, two Jaguars named the Pro Bowl. That came out moments ago. Josh Allen and Ross Matisic. So, with that, now let's get into Tennessee on Sunday. You know, the Jaguars last year were very healthy. If you'll remember, other than Cam Robinson, they really did not have a big-time injury on this roster. They were remarkably healthy basically the entire year. This year, that has not been the case. They have been crushed by injuries. Think about guys that have missed games. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Cam Robinson, Walker Little, Tyson Campbell, Andre Sisco, Devin Lloyd, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, should I go on? Devon Hamilton. They have been crushed with injuries, particularly in the last month and a half. But amazingly enough, the season could literally end on Sunday. We don't want to talk about that because we want to talk about Jacksonville winning in Nashville and getting into the playoffs, but you also have to mentally prepare for the fact that the season could literally be over in five days, four days. And yet, Cam Robinson's back. Tyson Campbell's back. Andre Sisco is back. Devon Hamilton is back. It appears that Zay Jones is getting very close to getting back. Christian Kirk was on the practice field today. Trevor Lawrence was on the practice field today. You could argue that the Jaguars are getting to be the healthiest they've been since the beginning of the year on the Wednesday going into week 18 of the season. That's nuts. And I'm not exactly sure what that means. I'm not exactly sure if that'll be beneficial. Maybe it's too little too late. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Jamal Agnew injury aside, are remarkably healthy going into the final game of the regular season. You look at all these injury reports that are coming out, they're 15, 20 deep. Jaguars had five guys on their injury report today and did not have a did not practice. Everybody practiced in a limited capacity at least that's available and not on IR. That's crazy. Maybe that's a sign from above. The football powers that be. 
have said, you know what? You survived the mountain of injuries we gave you. Now you're going to have a relatively complete roster going into Nashville to try to win the AFC South and to try to get back into the playoffs. Of course, if the Jaguars do that on Sunday, it would be the first time they would have back-to-back division championships since 1998 and 1999. Denmark, what year were you born? 98. Wow. You would have to go back to when Denmark was in diapers the last time the Jaguars had back-to-back division championships. 24 and 25 years ago, respectfully. But, and this is something we'll get into tomorrow and Friday, wrap your mind around this. It could be over Sunday at 4 o'clock Eastern. If the Jaguars don't win that game, if Tennessee circles the wagons, wins one for Derrick Henry or whatever verbiage you want to use, the season could be over. I mean, it is a playoff game for Jacksonville on Sunday. I think they're going to win. I think they should win. I think they're the better team. But remember, it was last year we had the conversation that they couldn't win in Nashville. They hadn't won in Nashville in like a decade before last season. And they finally got that weight off their shoulders by going in there and winning. But Nashville has not been good to the Jaguars. Hopefully, a little bit of that mojo from last year can carry into this year and the Jaguars can get it done. And if they do get it done, they'll be the four seed and they'll play the Cleveland Browns next weekend in round one of the NFL playoffs. We got a ton to do. We're glad you're with us again. We're less than 10 minutes away. Jason Cole has covered the NFL for years. We're going to talk, obviously, about Trevor Lawrence, about the Jaguars, about this matchup in Nashville on Sunday, about Indianapolis and Houston and how he thinks the AFC South will play out. But I also wanted to get Jason on because, again, he is a pro football Hall of Fame voter. And with the news last week that Fred Taylor is now one of the 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, don't take it from me. Take it from a guy who will vote on that. Take it from a guy who is in the room when Fred Taylor will be discussed. And that's Jason Cole, and he is coming up just around the corner. Before we get there, however, Denmark and I like to give back here on Hacker After Dark. It's a new year, but it's the same us. We're givers. We're here for you in the evenings on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. In Denmark, it is my understanding that all elite wrestling, AEW, Dynamite, is returning to Daly's Place one week from tonight. Next Wednesday, you guys know I love me some AEW. Chris Jericho and MJF, Samoa Joe, you name it. The Young Bucks. Denmark, what do we have? A pair of tickets? A pair of tickets next Wednesday at 730 at Daly's Place. If you want to go see All Elite Wrestling next Wednesday night, Daly's Place, simply be caller number four right now at 641-1010, and Dylan Denmark will hook you up with AEW Dynamite next Wednesday here in Jacksonville.
Jason Cole, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. Next, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday at 1 o'clock. A win for Jacksonville gives them their second straight AFC South championship. A loss probably means the end of their season, which would be awfully, awfully disappointing based on where they were just a month and a half ago. Having us said all that, let's get to our friend Jason Cole. Has covered the National Football League for years. He's also a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. We'll certainly get to that in a moment regarding Fred Taylor, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jason, how you doing? I'm fantastic. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, Jason, always appreciate the time. All right, the last time you and I talked, all was right with the Jaguars, right? They were 8-3. and three. Things were looking great. Then they lose four in a row. They finally get back on the winning track against Carolina, but they've complicated things, Jason. They're now in seemingly a must-win situation on Sunday in Nashville to get into the postseason. Yeah, this has been an awkward season. Even when they were 8-3, and three, I, ha- I was having a conversation with Tony Baselli. And I said, you know, that defense is just not really good enough um, to be a serious contender. And the entire season, if you look at what I pay a lot of attention to what I like to call yards per play differential, and that's the average number of yards that your your offense gains versus the average number of yards your defense allows. And the entire season, the Jags have been either right at zero or even negative, which is they're allowing more yards than they gain. And it just tells me that defense is not good enough yet, along with the fact that, look, there are some problems on offense, too. As talented as Trevor Lawrence is, this has not been a step forward for him this year. I mean, there's there's some flaws in his game, which you know we can talk about a little bit more extensively in a second. But overall, the the biggest disappointment to me is just how active they are or not active, inactive they are on defense. They just don't make enough plays. I know they had a lot of turnovers early, but turnovers come and go. That's that's hard to live on turnovers for an entire season. You have to be fundamentally sound and with your basics, and I don't think that they are right now. You know, it was interesting, and again, Carolina, obviously, they're not very good. That's why they're 2-14 and 14 right now. I'm not breaking any news there. But C.J. Beathard, by no means is he Trevor Lawrence, but he took what Carolina gave him on Sunday, and he didn't turn the mm-hmm. ball over. And, you know, sometimes a five-yard down and in is okay. You don't need a 30-yard seam route that gets intercepted. You get a couple five-yard down and ends, that's just as good as a 30-yard seam route. And maybe Trevor on the sideline, Jason, watching that, Maybe that registered to him because he's taken too many deep shots that have ended badly, and he's not gone underneath. Bethard went underneath on Sunday, and that worked to the Jaguars' benefit. I, there's some of that. I mean, I didn't watch that game that closely. I was watching some other games that I thought were more compelling, obviously. Um, so I'd have to analyze that. I expect Jacksonville to win just because Carolina is so bad, right? But when I watch Trevor Lawrence play – I, I, number one, they need a legitimate number one receiver. You know, Ridley has proven that he's not a legitimate number one receiver. He's a he's fine player. He's a good number two. You know, they have depth at the position. They don't have a star quality guy. So, number one, you got to get him some help. 
Number two, there are just times where I don't think he realizes where he is at a game, in a game. And I think it speaks a little bit to what you're talking about. It's taking shots that you don't have to take at certain times. Um, and, and, you know, the, the analytics people will say, look, it's really hard to piece together a drive with one five-yard gain after another after another because you eventually put yourself in a bind if you make one mistake. That's true. So you have to have a healthy number of big games big gains, big plays along the way, you know, to make your, your offense work at the same time, you have to know when you want to take those shots. And there was an interesting story. I was listening to another podcast with Todd McShay and Todd McShay was talking about the year that Trevor Lawrence came out and he talked to an assistant coach from another team who interviewed Trevor Lawrence. And the remark was, you know, Trevor's everything about Trevor is fine. But he did something interesting during the interview with that team. They asked him to recall a specific play and what happened on that specific play when he was at Clemson. And Trevor couldn't recall the play, you know, didn't know the circumstances. Well, when you talk to really great quarterbacks and you ask them, okay, you're facing that third and 10, you hit this, what was going on? You get extensive breakdowns from guys of, yeah, I remember this, 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 and this happened on that play. The reason I threw it here was this. Guys remember stuff really clearly. You know, the really, truly great players. And Trevor is should be on the path to being a really, truly great player. That was the expectation when you took him. And they see everything, number one. They can recall it, number two, really well. Because the importance of the recall is when you face the situation again, because you inevitably face situations again that are always unique, what are you going to do the next time you face the same situation? And whether you learned something from the previous situation or whether you didn't learn anything from the previous situation. And the fact that Trevor doesn't recall that stuff, it doesn't make him stupid. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't make him lazy, but it's just different than what your normal great great quarterbacks do and it makes you wonder okay you know what's going on here that he doesn't remember this stuff and doesn't recall it and doesn't you know it doesn't come to his mind the way it does for others and if that's who he is how do you work with that how do you make how do you make a guy who's like that a great player um because He's not going to be necessarily like Peyton Manning, even if he has the physical tools to be everything that Peyton Manning was. It's interesting, and people have questioned his football IQ a little bit. There was that situation with Baltimore at the end of the first half that was just a terrible sequence where the clock ran out on them. Different things have happened this year like that to Trevor and the offense. Jason Cole has covered the NFL for years. He is a pro football Hall of Fame voter. He's with us here on 1010XL. Jason, before I get to the AFC South, I want to get a quick thought from you on Evan Ingram uh, only the eighth tight end in the history of the league, which that's crazy to think about, that has 100 catches in a single season. He joins Jimmy Smith as only the second Jaguar to ever do it. He's got 104 grabs with a game remaining on Sunday against Tennessee. From a bust in New York, and I had Giants fans laughing at me when the Jaguar signed Evan Ingram to now one of only eight tight ends to catch 100 balls in a single year. What a transformation for Ingram here in Jacksonville. Hey, kids, play to the money. 
you know, he signed a big contract and he's, and he's produced. So as a fan, you can't ask much more about it for a guy than to do that, you know, to, to come in. And, and I'm not saying it's rare, but it's not the norm. In football, normally guys sign big contracts and you're sort of lucky if they play to the league average because, you know, guys get hurt, they wear down. You're usually buying free agents at the peak level of performance, things like that. Instead, you know, he's making good on the contract. So give that kid a lot of credit. You got a building block to work with going forward. That's exactly what you wanted at that position. And I would still be looking to take another tight end as a compliment to Evan Ingram because I believe in the importance of tight ends in any offense. And I think that Doug Peterson, based on his experience in Philadelphia and how they used tight ends there, probably agrees with that. So, but I, I'm not talking about taking a star tight end. You know, they need a star wide receiver, but a capable tight end who can give you a lot of good combo block, you know, good, a good combo of blocking and receiving. And Ingram has been vital this year with the injuries to both Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. All right, Jason, that brings us to this weekend. Hard to believe that you could argue the most intrigue in any division when you have three or more teams left competing for the division championship may come in the AFC South. We got the Texans and the Colts on Saturday night in a game that's a must win for both. The winner is in the playoffs and the winner then will prop their feet up on Sunday and hope that Tennessee can knock off Jacksonville and then they would win the AFC South. Meanwhile, the Jaguars control their own destiny for an AFC South championship. Titans looking to play spoiler there. What have you made of the AFC South and how do you think it all shakes out this weekend? Look, I thought that this was a division that Jacksonville was going to control for some time to come, um, you know, at least the next three to four years. The whole thing has flipped around. Stroud in Houston has been great. The coaching in Indianapolis, despite losing Richardson and having to go with Minshew most of the year, has been terrific to make them competitive. Tennessee is obviously in the midst of a major rebuild to see what they do, what direction they go with all of that. But, you know, Jacksonville, again, I come back to this is a team that has not progressed. And I don't know if that's necessarily a coaching issue or if it is a talent issue. I tend to look at that defense and say it's a talent issue mostly. They don't, you know, that they've made some critical mistakes in who they drafted and they didn't get deep enough. And I look at the offense and say, you know, there's not enough. There's not a true number one receiver to help take pressure off Trevor Lawrence. And so no matter what happens, whether Jacksonville wins on Sunday and, you know, takes control and gets into the playoffs or whether they lose for them to become a real contender and take advantage of the Trevor Lawrence era, one way or the other, they have to get a lot better from a personnel standpoint. That's my belief. So no, I, I sort of say, you know, great. If they win, they get on a little hot streak. They can make things interesting in the AFC. Um, they're, they're still good enough to do that. But they're not as good as they should be and as they can be. And that they're even at the end of the year, even if things go great, you have to step back and go, we need – 
we need critical elements to this team to make it better. Baltimore has home field in the AFC. Jason, San Francisco, home field in the NFC. Does anybody go into either venue and beat those teams? Um, yeah, both of them are susceptible. Um, to me, Baltimore has been a little less consistent at, even at home. You know, the Cleveland game, you know, brings up some questions. Um, and so they can be a little bit more erratic than I think San Francisco will be at home. But overwhelmingly, I think both of them, you know, hold serve throughout the playoffs. Because Baltimore right now, is pl- they're, they're about as hot as you could possibly imagine a team. You know, those last two victories, the one at San Francisco was just, you know, that was a bludgeoning. And then, um, why can't I, you know, they played a good team. Who did they play on? They played Miami and beat them by 40. Yeah, they they took apart Miami. They just, you know, those are, you hang those two pelts on, and I'm, it's weird because I watched that whole Miami game, but Miami disappeared so fast that I I forgot they were even on the field. But they were, you know, and Lamar Jackson has been so good um, these last couple of weeks and has really peaked in his own ability, which, A, I think solidifies him as the MVP. But more importantly, if Lamar Jackson is ever going to win a Super Bowl with Baltimore, like this is the perfect setup. He's throwing the ball as the best he's ever thrown, you know, from an accuracy standpoint. I still think there are questions on him against tight defenses. But this is as good as as I can imagine Lamar Jackson being on top of the fact that you have their defense as good as it can possibly be and does you know and constantly puts him in positive situations where like just get a field goal. We're fine. You know, don't you don't have to you don't have to press to get touchdowns every single time. And as a result, you know, they're one of the top offensive teams in the league in a lot of ways because they're not forcing things on offense. Final moments with Jason Cole. He's covered the league for years. He's been a pro football Hall of Fame voter for years. And I'll end with Fred Taylor. Jason, it was an enormous deal last week when Fred Taylor finally got into the room, as we call it. He's one of the 15 finalists. He will be discussed by you guys, the pro football Hall of Fame voters. Uh, Just a thought from you, a guy that's going to be in the room on Fred Taylor and him finally making the final 15. If people, if people just remember watching Fred Taylor, like, you go, that was a Hall of Fame guy. If you analyze Fred Taylor and say, okay, tell me all the stats and tell me how he finished and tell me what he did. You know, he was hurt here and he was hurt there. And, you know, the end of his career was sort of in a backup role and this and that. If you pick it apart, you can make the case that Fred's borderline. If you remember Fred at his best, there ain't no question, <laughs> okay? Like, Fred Taylor at his best is a Hall of Fame guy. And he was up there for an awful long time. You know, you know when you think about it, yes, he had the injuries that took away from his career, but he still ended up, you know, with all the requisite numbers. And I mean, he's just, I still remember those two, the couple of games against Miami. And I remember the play, you know, other other critical moments for, for the Jags 
or he was just so good. And so I've always wanted him to get in the room just to say, guys, do you remember watching it? Do you remember the size and the speed? Do you remember the big plays? Do you remember the runs? And and just hopefully we we see the highlights again. And yeah, you know, we can do that with anybody's career and, and turn them into a Hall of Famer with the highlights. But there was still a specialness to his, again, when you talk about a man who was that size, and I'm not the, not the biggest running back of all time, but certainly a reckless size guy, combined with that kind of speed that he had and ability to break tackles, it really was a breathtaking thing to watch Fred Taylor at his best. And I hope that that comes through in the room and gives him a real chance. I suspect my guess would be it's going to take a couple of years along the lines of what happened with Baselli to get him through if he's going to get into the Hall of Fame ultimately. Um, but hopefully there's enough momentum built this year so that he keeps coming back into the room and that we keep having to discuss him at the very least. You know, maybe he makes it in and I'm a little bit surprised. I think that, you know, there's, if you look at the totality of this room, this is a lot of players who are very equal, um, who are very deserving. It's a lot of guys out, you know, Dwight Freeney and Julius Peppers and um, Antonio Gates, you know, really jump off the page at you. There's Jared Allen. All those guys, you know, were star quality guys. Um, who you can say there's no shame in those guys being in the Hall of Fame. There's no guys who you look at and say, eh, I don't, I don't really see it. And I've had some you know, groups where it's like, I don't see that guy making it. Um, but Fred's in that discussion. I think it's going to be hard for him to get past, you know, some of the issues we've been dealing with the last couple of years. Like, you know, we're starting to get backlogged with three defensive ends. We're starting to get, we've been backlogged with wide receivers for a couple of years. I think there's probably going to be a pretty good push to get, you know, one of, at least one of Andre Johnson, Torrey Holt, or Reggie Wayne into the Hall of Fame because they've been sitting there for a while. Um, so we will see how that goes. But if that happens, you know, that takes up one of the spots. And then now you're talking about, you know, only four spots being available. And it gets tougher and tougher for a guy like Fred the first time in the room to make it. That's excellent insight. We appreciate that. And that was the thing with Baselli, as you said. He was on the semifinal list forever, and then he finally got into the room. And at least Fred this year will be discussed, and hopefully he gets in the room, if not this year, again next year and the year after. The one thing I will say, and we've talked about it, he is the only running back. I think Marshawn Lynch comes on next year, and then Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson come on. So if Fred doesn't get in this year or next, it may get a little tougher when Gore and Peterson come on the ballot, but we will certainly wait and see how it all plays out. Jason Cole, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter and one of our guys here on 1010XL. Jason, thank you for the insight, brother. We'll talk again soon. Anytime. Enjoy the weekend. Take care. There you go. Jason Cole here with us on Hacker After Dark, and I love that insight, you know. I mean, that guy is one of the guys that's going to vote for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, you heard it right from his mouth. They got a backlog of wide receivers with Torrey Holt, with Reggie Wayne, with Andre Johnson. They need to get one of those guys in. You're starting to get a backlog of defensive ends with Julius Peppers and with Jared Allen. So the numbers will dwindle, which is interesting hearing it from a pro football Hall of Fame voter. But in the same breath, Jason Cole also said, when you think of Fred Taylor, or at least when he does, 
He says, yeah, that guy's a Hall of Fame player. So I just I love getting insight from guys that vote on it. I'll try to bring you a couple more in the weeks leading in to the vote. But the big thing this year, I'm of the opinion Fred does not get in. I don't think I'm really breaking any news there. But it was so huge to get into the finalist room, right? It's so big to go from the 25 to the 15. Because that's what it took with Baselli. Baselli was on the 25 list for a couple of years, did not get in. Then he finally got into the 15. And normally, when you get into the 15, a lot of guys don't get out of that room until they ultimately get into Canton. Like, I don't think Baselli ever left the 15 year after year after year until he finally got in. So the fact that Fred is in now that 15 is a great sign for him. If not this year, it's a great sign moving forward. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday in Nashville. A win for the Jaguars will win the AFC South. A loss probably does end their season. What are they talking about in Nashville? An awful Titan team. Do you realize, how about this for a stat? Mike Vrabel, in his time with the Tennessee Titans, last week was officially the first game that they played under Mike Vrabel that they were eliminated from playoff contention during the regular season. They've either been in the playoffs, they've either been mathematically alive all the way through the end of the regular season, they have never been eliminated and played a, quote, meaningless regular season game under Vrabel until last week when they were already eliminated before the Houston game. That's nuts. Obviously, that's the case again this week when Jacksonville comes in. Would Tennessee love to do nothing more than to spoil Jacksonville's season? Our guy up in Nashville is Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast. He joins me next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday evening in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. A win for the Jaguars is their second straight AFC South championship. A loss for the Jaguars and more than likely, will end their season. Stakes are obviously very high going into this weekend. And let's head to Nashville. Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast. You can also read his terrific work at alltitans.com. He's one of our guys up in Nashville, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. It's really a, a tough situation uh, for a Titans fan to be in. Do you want the Titans to lose to help their draft pick? But, man, knocking Jacksonville out of the playoffs sure would be sweet as well. So, an interesting weekend for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt, and we're going to get into all that. But, Tyler, i got to tell you, man, I'm watching the Houston-Tennessee game last week. And say what you will about Mike Vrabel and the Titans, but they normally battle. I mean, they battled Seattle. They battled Indianapolis. They they battle. Boy, that was bad last week. And I don't know if if people are thinking about Cancun or what was going on, but that was very (laughs) – Untitan-like last week, right? Well, I have to hope that um, rather than just the team being absolutely inept and completely outcoached by a by a rookie head coach for a second time, have to hope the Titans realize their situation. If you look over the last few weeks, the Titans have placed numerous starter starters on injured reserve, 
Um, you had certain starters, Christian Fulton, cornerback in the locker room, being told he was be- he was being placed on injured reserve, and he didn't even know that it was happening. He's like, wait, I thought I was going to be healthy enough to come back and play this year. I went on IR. Like, So it, it seems like to me that whether the Titans are saying it publicly or not, by placing every veteran that they possibly can on injured reserve over the last three weeks, uh, it, it just seems like they aren't trying to win. So hopefully it's a, it's a directive from the organization to uh, put these guys on injured reserve and lose these games because it's what's best for the Titans' future. But it does, you know, make you wonder, has Mike Vrabel kind of lost his fastball? This roster is really, really bad. So I don't want to give too much of the blame to Mike Vrabel. But I think it's definitely possible to say, hey, this roster is really, really bad. But the coaching staff hasn't done a great job either. And when you look around the NFL and what works in the NFL these days, I think when you look at the play out on the field, you look at the development of some of the younger players for the Titans, especially on offense, and you look at the success of offensive coaches, uh, it's fair to raise a question as to whether Mike Vrabel is the right man for the job. Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked on Titans podcast, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Tyler, it's still relatively early in the week, uh, but Will Levis did leave last week with an injury. Mm -hmm. Tannehill came in to play the entire second half. Uh, what's your thought? One game to go, um, you know, a quote, meaningless game, I guess, in the NFL. Right. Do they play Will Levis if he can go, or do you think it's Ryan Tannehill on Sunday? Well, uh, to a point, I think the Titans are completely deranged. I mean, they, they played Will Levis last week coming off a high ankle sprain behind this offensive line against the Texans team that sacked him seven times in week 15 and then go out there and buy the second quarter. He's hurt already. If you look, the Titans' left tackle position, they've played multiple players there, which makes this even more ridiculous to hear. But Andre Dillard has the most sacks allowed for any offensive tackle in the NFL this year. And the second offensive tackle the Titans have played, Jalen Duncan, the rookie, is fourth most. So putting your rookie quarterback who's already injured and trying to limp it out the rest of the season behind this offensive line when you are eliminated from the playoffs already is absolute malpractice. So you have to hope, if you're a Titans fan with any brains in your skull, that they don't put Will Levis out there off two injuries behind this offensive line. That means you'll probably get Ryan Tannehill, but Tannehill got banged up in that game too. He was lying face down in the dirt a couple of times, limping a couple of times. And in the locker room after the game, he said, yeah, I mean, sometimes there's nothing I can do because the offensive line is so, so bad. So if I'm the Titans, I think you owe it to Ryan Tannehill to give him his health as he goes into free agency to look for a backup job. And I think what the Titans need to do is play Malik Willis. Willis probably isn't an NFL player. He's probably not going to be with the team next year. But number one, it's going to help you lose against Jacksonville, which is best for the team. And hey, let Malik Willis audition, go out there and get some reps and snaps, and maybe he can get a new job with a different team this offseason. I think the Titans need to play Malik Willis. I don't think they play Will Levis. I ultimately think it's Tannehill that goes up against the Jaguars. Tyler, you and I talked this offseason, and you knew back then, five, six months ago, how bad this offensive line was yes. going to be. If you knew yes. that, how did the team not know that? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think I think it's a situation where maybe they did know or maybe they had hopes. The reality is Andre Dillard was a lottery ticket. You look, Chris Hubbard, the Titans signed him to play right tackle a couple weeks before training camp. He tore his, uh, his uh, bicep during the year, but he was very good, one of the better right tackles in the NFL for the first 10 weeks of the season when he was actually playing. Daniel Brunskill at right guard has been solid. Uh, 
first-round pick, left guard Peter Skaronsky, has had his ups and downs as a rookie offensive ta- or rookie offensive guard next to the worst left tackle position in the NFL, mind you. He had a midseason surgery on his appendix as well, so uh, it's been an up-and-down year for, for the first-round pick guard for the Titans. Uh, but that left tackle spot and the center spot were just so, so bad, and the Titans took lottery tickets there because the Titans didn't have a ton of cap space. They didn't have a ton of draft picks coming into this year because of previous bad moves by the former general manager John Robinson so I think I think they they maybe didn't know the offensive line would be as bad as it is because they took a lottery ticket on a couple of guys but I really am not going to fault the Titans GM or the Titans for this offensive line the reality is Jacksonville fans know offensive line right now is the hardest position to get right in the NFL because of just the lack of true talented offensive linemen if you're big enough to be an offensive lineman and you're athletic enough you probably want to play defense. If you're big enough and even more athletic, you probably want to play tight end. So it's just hard to get offensive linemen and find them. So maybe the Titans didn't know it would be this bad, but they didn't have a lot of options to fix it. And that is why, Ryan, it is so, so, so vitally important that the Titans lose this game and get in the top six, top seven, top five of this draft so they can get one of these offensive tackles and and maybe have a chance to fix this O-line because – not a lot of teams are giving up good free agent offensive linemen. just doesn't happen. Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast. Tyler, Derek Henry, big fan of mm-hmm. Derek's. Had him in studio mm-hmm. many times in high school. We love him down here. He has absolutely killed the Jaguars in a Titan uniform <laughs> over the years. He is a free agent. It is the final home game in Nashville on Sunday. Is it Derek mm-hmm. Henry's final home game as a Tennessee Titan? I do think it is. I do think it is. Now, I'm not saying that Derrick Henry couldn't be back with the Titans, but I think it would be a reduced role. They would have to go to him and say, hey, man, you aren't the engine of this offense anymore. You're not going to play more than Tajay Spears. You're not going to get 20 carries a game. You're, you know, you're just not the heart and soul of this team. We have to evolve. We have to move forward and have a more balanced and more versatile offense that isn't built around a one-trick pony at running back. Now, if Henry can accept that, which may be tough for him to hear, if he can accept that and he's willing to accept five, six million dollars, which is about the the going rate for a veteran backup running back as part of a committee, and he just wants to be back in Tennessee to finish his career there, then I think it could work out. But I mean you see a market evaluation on spottrack.com of nine point five million dollars a season for Derrick Henry. One, I don't think that he's gonna get that from anybody. And two, the Titans certainly can't pay him that $10 million a year for a running back. It's pretty simple. Would you rather have Tajay Spears at $1.2 million and then another rookie for $2 million total or Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears for $12 million? Would you rather have Zach Moss or Devin Singletary or Deontay Foreman and Tajay Spears for $4 million or Derrick Henry and Spears for $12 million? You know, it's just, it's just simple conversations about allocations of resources. And if I'm Derrick Henry and I have to take five, six, four million dollars this year why would I want to come back and do that for the Titans who didn't want to pay me and wanted me to go didn't want to pay me more you know they're not willing to pay me more for what I've done so if I'm Derrick Henry I'm going to take my four or five six million and play for the Chiefs the Eagles the Bills the Bengals somebody who has a real chance to win a Super Bowl next year um so with all of that factored in I I I do think if I had to guess that it is Derrick Henry's last game as a Tennessee Titan Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday. You'll hear it right here on 1010XL. Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast. Tyler, let's get to Sunday. Conventional thinking down here. The Titans played awful against Houston. This is a circle the wagons game. This is a ruin the Jaguars season game. They Mm -hmm. ruined our season a year ago. 
We're going to ruin their season. I will tell you there is quite a bit of trepidation about going to Nashville, even though Tennessee's 5-11, and about this game on Sunday. Mm -hmm. What is the thought in Nashville about Sunday's contest? Well, I think Jags fans are, are fair to be a little bit worried because what we the conversation comes full circle. Mike Rabel gets his teams to play. That is typically the case, and that didn't happen last week, but more often than not, it does happen, regardless of the quality of the roster. Uh, with the Titans being at home as well, they always, especially offensively, they play much better at home than they do on the road. I mean, look, they scored three points against the Texans uh, two weeks ago. You know, they scored 16 points against the Texans. So that's a 13-point difference from being at home on the road. And if Trevor Lawrence is banged up still and not 100%, which is probably the case, there's a, a, a good chance the Titans could could find a way to compete in this game. Um, the reality is, though, this Titans team is just so, so bad. I mean, right now, I, Ryan, you know, I'm as plugged in as you could possibly be on this team. And there are players out there who I'm like, who is Garrett Wallow playing linebacker? You know, like the Titans literally have players who are barely practice squad level players at multiple positions on defense and offense. So um, while I think the Titans, because of the familiarity with Jacksonville, being at home, maybe a banged up version of Jacksonville, the Titans have a chance to win this game. I still think that, that you can't bet on the Titans to win this game, and, and you got to think that Jacksonville will find a way to pull it out at the end. And I think some of the concern down here, Tyler, is Jacksonville was in this position two years ago. Jaguars mm-hmm. had nothing to play for. Indianapolis mm-hmm. came in. It was mm-hmm. win and they're in, and Jacksonville put a number on them. And, and yeah. our hope is that Trevor Lawrence and the guys that were here two years ago remember that. And I know it's being right. told to them in that locker room. The fan base up there. Tennessee normally has great crowds at, at Nissan Stadium. What do you expect the fans to be like for the regular season finale? Well, I think with it being a Jacksonville game, there's just a pure hatred there at the end of the day. I mean, uh, Houston, you know, they were a new franchise when they start, when, you know, when they popped in in the early 2000s. And the Titans and Jacks have been battling in big games for a few years before that. Indy kind of has everybody under their thumb. Indy is a a far superior franchise than any of the other three AFC South teams. So really it, what I'm trying to say is Jacksonville and Tennessee are like the two ugly brothers trying to fight it out. You know, we're like, ah, oh, the Texans are the Texans, the Colts, oh, they're up there. We can't talk crap to them, but us, us, we're in this together, you know? So with that being the case and kind of the, the tie between these two teams that I think is, is higher than the other teams in the division, I think you will see a, a Tennessee crowd that wants to win the game. And got to be honest with you, Ryan, if you're somebody who wants the Titans to tank and lose, you probably aren't paying money for tickets. So the people who are there want to see the Titans win. That's what they want. So I think you're going to get a good crowd. I think you're going to get people who want to see Jacksonville go down. You're going to see people who want to spoil a Jacksonville season. And while that would be sweet, me personally, I am more concerned about the Titans bettering their future than the Titans hurting the Jaguars. At the end of the day, I always say, take care of your own house. You can't be talking about other houses, pe- other people's houses being dirty if your house isn't clean. So I would rather the Titans make sure their house is clean, win- lose this game, get a top five draft pick, get your stud left tackle of the future, and go from there. But I think the game is going to be closer than I want it to be and probably closer than Jacks fans want it to be as well. Tyler, as we wrap up, you cover this division every day just like I do. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that – Here we are, week 18, and maybe the most intrigue in the National Football League from three or more teams in the same division revolves around the AFC South. 
Yeah, I think it's surprising, but I think the, what the truth of the matter is is none of the teams are great. There is no great team in this division. Jack, Jacksonville's good. Indianapolis is good. Houston is good. But I think that if, if you know, you take Jacksonville or you take Houston or you take Indy and you put them in different divisions, they probably don't have the record that they have. The Titans are going to get swept in the division by, if Jacksonville wins, 0-6. So that obviously helps all the teams to play against a crap team like the Titans. But I, I think that it's not surprising because, again, all these teams are good teams in the middle. And, Ryan, you see it every week outside of the division. There are 20 teams right now that are still technically could win the Super Bowl this year. 20 teams are still mathematically eligible to make the playoffs. So I think when you look at the parity and kind of the middle ground of the NFL this year with the lack of great teams, it's not as surprising. But, I mean, if you would have told somebody outside of the division, hey, all three of these AFC South teams are going to be fighting for the playoffs, I, I think they would be surprised by that. But I think the real takeaway from the Titans side is there are 20 out of 32 teams still eligible for the playoffs. There are three teams that could still win the AFC South, and the Titans have been eliminated for a month, but yet all the Titans fans online tell me how competitive of a team they are. So I, I think that's the interesting thing from the Titans' angle is you got so much parity, and yet the Titans have been eliminated for a month. So tough times in Tennessee. Hey, Tyler, final question. You and I will talk this offseason, certainly. Titans have like a billion dollars to spend in free agency. I mean, it's kind of like the Jaguars were two years ago when they brought in Kirk and Jones and Ingram and Aluakin. Is it going to be just a mad spending frenzy in Nashville this offseason? Well, that's funny, Ryan, because I compare the Titans situation to the Jaguars. They have a young quarterback who is going from his rookie year to his second year who should take a step, you would hope. They don't have a very good team because they have whiffed on first round. I mean, the Titans have completely whiffed on four out of their last five first rounders. That's why they have so much money. They had nobody worth paying. So I think that the Titans need to address some serious concerns. There's a good wide receiver market. There are some good offensive linemen, maybe not top tier, but good solid depth offensive linemen. They're going to have a top seven, top five draft pick this year. I, I know this may sound like wish casting to Jags fans listening, but if you look at Jacksonville, they were the worst team in the league, but they were still able to attract really good free agents. And maybe some of the things look like overpays, like the Christian Kirk contract, but that was a shrewd move, and they were ahead of the market on that. I think the Titans have to aggressively use their 75 to $85 million in cap space, fill in with veterans where you can. I think in the NFL, things move very fast, as Jacksonville fans will know. So I think the Titans would – it would be unwise to tell themselves that this is a long rebuild. And I don't think they believe that in the building either. I think if you had key veterans at key spots and then you utilize your draft picks correctly, you could flip this into a division winner in one offseason. That's just the way that it works in the NFL. So I would look at Jacksonville if I was the Titans and say, hey, that's the kind of offseason that we need to have because that took Jacksonville from the worst team in the NFL – to a division winner and winning a playoff game in one year, and we can do that. So that is what I would look at in your division, your next-door neighbor, what they did to their house. That's what the Titans do and what they have to hope for. You can catch Tyler Rowland at alltitans.com, and he hosts the daily Locked on Titans podcast. Tyler, appreciate it, man. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Ron. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday, a win for Jacksonville will mean a second consecutive AFC South championship, a loss for the Jaguars, 
and they're probably out of the playoffs. Yeah, I know a couple of things need to happen, and they could still get in, but winning would make it a whole lot easier on Sunday in Nashville. With that, let me go to my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Hack. I uh, had a great weekend after the win, and uh, looking forward to a big ball game this weekend. It is an enormous game this weekend. Coach, let's briefly look back on Sunday uh, dominating, right? I mean, 26 nothing. I don't care who you're playing, and you made that point on Sunday during the fifth quarter. Yeah, I understand Carolina's not a great team, but you beat a team 26 nothing. You shut out a team that just put 30 points on the Green Bay Packers the week prior. Boy, an all-around terrific performance by the Jaguars. Well, they responded. There's no question about it. And when you shut a team out in the National Football League, you've had a good day. So, you know, that, that was an, a, a really excellent ball game. I thought Bethard came in and did exactly what they wanted him to do. And it really looked like some of the early ball games where we, you know, didn't get the ball down the field, but it was very efficient. We hit the short ones. We ran the ball. When we got on the perimeter, we made a couple of big runs. Uh, you know, that part of it was excellent. I think that one of the things that we got to be careful about this week, though, is I think they'll be sitting on a lot of rounds, especially if if uh, Bethard is going. Yeah, now we don't know yet what the situation is with Trevor Lawrence. We'll find out later in the week. There's a chance that Zay Jones could be back in there. There's potentially a chance, I'm not sure about playing, but that Christian Kirk could be back on the practice field this week as the Jaguars getting a little healthier here at the end of the year. Uh, defensively, uh, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker, when your two edge rushers combine for five sacks, Coach, that's getting the job done. They now have 25 and a half sacks between the two of them, Trayvon with nine, and of course Josh Allen now the single season Jaguar record, 16 and a half sacks this season. Well, that's outstanding, and you know, obviously we would have taken that at the beginning of the year. Uh, didn't know that we would get there. I think the improvement of, of Walker is evident uh, in a lot of areas. Uh, not where he needs to be yet, but he's he's got a chance to get there. And uh, Josh Allen has had a fantastic year. I think where they need the improvement is a little bit more push in the pocket. And the one thing about it, I thought this past week was the first time that uh, we – defensively let it go with some pressure and I think that's going to be important when we sit back in the zone teams have hurt us because the pocket is clean even though we you know on third down we're playing very very well but on first and second down we're not getting much push on the quarterback and that's what's got to happen to to you know to get those third down and longs Dave Campo is our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. He's with us every week here on 1010XL. Coach, four losses in a row. Obviously, it was not going good. Things were just bad all the way around, culminating in what looked like rock bottom against Tampa on Christmas Eve. And yet, you come out last week against Carolina, albeit an inferior opponent, but you do exactly what you're supposed to do in a 26 nothing shutout performance. Can one win kind of get this team back on the right track going into what's a enormous game on Sunday in Nashville? You know, it's interesting because when you listen to some of the basketball guys that talk, in a, you know, when they talk about their team, you just have to see the ball go in, and then all of a sudden you can get a run going. I think it's the same thing in every sport. When you're struggling, if you get off to a good start and you have a good ball game, 
I think that does loads for your confidence. And then I think you can really put the pedal to the metal. Uh, that last game could have been a really tough ball game, to be honest with you. You know, they were coming off of a, of a, a two. Uh, they won two weeks ago, and then then they came off a thirty point performance. Uh, they were feeling pretty good. Young was probably had the best game of his career the the week before, but our guys came out and got a lead, and I think that's extremely important. I think we're going to have to do the same thing this week. Coach, a couple of things stood out last week moving forward. Number one, Cam Robinson was back in the lineup. And I'm not, I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but I don't think it is. All right. The Jaguars, when Cam Robinson plays, are seven and one this year. And you do the math on that, they're obviously, what, two and five when he's not out there. I mean, that's at this point, that's not a coincidence. Well, First of all, you know, I think we've all been a little critical of Cam over the course of the last couple of years, and I think rightfully so because he's, you know, he's not perfect. But the one thing he brings is a toughness and a uh, physicalness to the, the group. And I still think we have problems inside. Uh, there's no question in my mind that that's a little bit of a weakness on our football team. But when he's on the field, at least you know he's going to be chomping and, and biting and fighting. And, you know, that's a real plus for that that group. And I think it helps the other tackle because I think he's learning from that. And and there's no question that he's proven that he's a, a, an integral part of that offensive line. And, and I'm just glad he's back. You know, another situation that arose, Tyson Campbell did not have a good game against Tampa uh, in his first game back from injury. I thought Tyson Campbell looked pretty good against Carolina. I mean, Adam Thielen's a pretty good player. They have some guys there. Like I said, Bryce Young threw for 300 yards against Green Bay the week prior to this, and the Jaguars' secondary looked pretty good. It appears Campbell and I guess Cisco as well, Andre Cisco, they both looked healthier certainly than they did against the Buccaneers. Well, you know I'm a big proponent, Hack, about if you don't practice, you don't play well. And – you know, the first week back after you've been out for a while, you know, it, there's a little bit of rust there. And and if you didn't practice full go, even for, you know, a couple of days that week, you're still going to have problems at times. And, and I thought that the first game back with Campbell was shaky. This game, I thought he played better. Cisco, I think, played okay. Uh, you know, if you practice, you play good. And, and I even feel that way about Bethard. You know, Bethard is a second quarterback, but he got about 70% of the reps for the last three or four weeks. And so when that happens, uh, your chances of playing well are very, very good if you've got a good, if you're a good player. Couple of more for our head coach, Dave Campo. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, you look at some of the milestones that were set. We talked about Josh Allen earlier, the single season record for, for uh, sacks for the Jaguars offensively Evan Ingram only the eighth tight end in NFL history with a hundred catches in a single season and he's only the second Jaguar to do that joining Jimmy Smith a hundred and four catches and he still has one regular season game left I mean what a year coach for Evan Ingram yeah you know he's he's my guy you know I love the guy when he came over from the Giants you know he had the reputation of dropping balls and this and that uh, he got here, and, and you know, that can happen when you're in New York. You know, that's a rough, rough operation back there. But 
When he came in here, the first thing he did was he put in extra time catching the football with the quarterbacks. One of the things I wanted to see this year when we went back to training camp the first day was if he was doing the same thing he did. Uh, he's gone out and proven that he's got what it takes to uh, 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 really quality it end. And, uh, you know, I spent some time this week in Dallas for Jimmy Johnson's uh, induction into the Hall of Fame, and I spoke with uh, Jay Novacek, who was the top day. And that's, he said to me, he said, Evan Ingram looks a lot like me. And he is. He, he's a guy that can, once in a while, he, he'll, he'll make a bad block, but he decent, he's decent in, in getting his body in front of people. But as a receiving tight end, he may be uh, the, the third, maybe the second or third best tight end in the league right now. He's had an absolutely terrific year. There's no doubt about that. All right, Dave Campo, let's look ahead. You've been on both sides of this in your coaching career. Week 18, the Jaguars, everything to play for. Tennessee, spoiler. Uh, but, boy, I got to tell you, watching that Titans-Texans game, I actually think it's a bad thing for the Jaguars what happened to Tennessee on Sunday. They looked awful. They looked disinterested. Houston beat them 26-3. It was embarrassing for the Titans. I, I don't well, know if that's going to galvanize them or not, but I would have to think, Coach, just looking at the mirror and, and just, you know, a test of manhood, whatever you want to call it, they're going to have to come out and play better on Sunday than they did last week. Well, they absolutely are. You know, their competitors compete. And, you know, they've got some guys that have been in big ball games over there. And, you know, I think you're going to see a different football team. Uh, you know, you got – Tannehill, I don't know if he's going to play or Levis is going to play, but, you know, Tannehill with a week's practice is a little bit better quarterback than he was last week. And then you add the fact that this might be the last game of Derrick Henry in, in uh, Tennessee. They're going to give him the football. Uh, they've got a good another good back in Spears, probably a little bit better than Henry right now because of his speed and athletic ability. Uh, they're going to come out. Uh, I think they'll come out ready to go. We have to get off to a good start. When a team is struggling, if you get a good start on them, it's a lot like the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they will they will shut it down if you if you get a good jump on them. I think we're going to have to do that. Uh, I think we're a better football team than they are. So we should go in there and and with everything on the line, we should play. Uh, if we play steady smart football, don't turn the ball over, we, we'll be fine in that ball game. Coach, I was talking to some Tennessee media up there, and the fan base up there, they're obviously frustrated, they're upset, they're angry, and they want to ruin Jacksonville's season. Jacksonville was in the same exact position two years ago. If you'll remember when Indianapolis came in here, Trevor Lawrence's rookie year, the Jaguars had nothing to play for. Indianapolis win and they're in, and Jacksonville just beat them, beat the brakes off of them, quite frankly. And I hope that that was a nice reminder, or that is a nice reminder for Jaguar players that were on that roster two years ago, that that can happen. I have no doubt, even though Doug Peterson wasn't here, I have no doubt he's going to use that game as a reference for guys that were here because a powerful motivator coach is to ruin your rival season, whether that's in college or the NFL we ruined Tennessee season last year. They would love to return the favor on Sunday. 
Well, there's no question that those mayo eaters over there would love to put a lot of mayonnaise on our bread. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and we have to, that's why I feel like we've got to go out and show them right away that we're getting ready for a playoff push. We need to get after them early and have good things happen, take care of the football. And, and you know, we've got to make sure that doesn't happen. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that competitors compete and, and rivalry is a real thing. So uh, it will be a ball game. We just got to make sure that we're at the top end of the scoreboard when it goes 0-0-0. The interesting thing, the Jaguars win and they win the division. If they lose, they can still get in. It would take Baltimore beating Pittsburgh, and you say, well, that's a no-brainer. Well, no, Baltimore is going to rest a lot of their guys, and it would take Las Vegas to beat Denver. The Jaguars would need Denver and Pittsburgh to lose to still get in if they lose to Tennessee. Having said that, Coach, what's your thought on the game? Are the Jaguars celebrating a division championship on Sunday in Nashville? Well, we're the better football team, and I think that winning this past week gives them a little bit of a jolt. I feel good about it. You know you know my feeling that every game is different, and, and how you play that day is whether or not you win or lose. There are, there are five, six plays during the course of the game that make a difference, and if you make them, you win. If they make them, they win. So, uh, you know, I feel good about our team. Uh, we've got good players. If we got a, if we get a couple guys back, if we got Zay Jones back, I'd even feel better about it because we've got young receivers out there. But I feel good about the game. And, uh, you know, we just have to go up there and, and you know, have a good showing and, and not do anything, that, you know, spectacular. Just make sure we do what we're supposed to do. And, of course, we'll break it down. You, myself, Leon Searcy on the fifth quarter, two hours after the Jaguars and the Titans go final. Coach, leave us with this. You mentioned Dallas last week. You went out to the Cowboys-Lions game to celebrate your friend, Jimmy Johnson. You were on his staff, both with the Hurricanes and certainly the Cowboys. He went into the Dallas Ring of Honor. I know all the fellas were out there from Aikman to Irvin to Emmett, everybody involved. What was that weekend like for you? Well, it was a blast. I'll be honest with you. I had a great time. Uh, you know, anytime I'm around my ex-players, uh, I, that's what I miss coaching. You know, I was around a bunch of them, the Larry Browns, the James Washingtons, the Darren Woodsons, all those guys were there. And it was a, it was really a fun weekend. And man, they worked my tail off over there. I was on three, four podcasts. I was on two, two or three TV shows. It was fantastic. And the Cowboys won. That even made it better. But listen, I got back on the plane at 7 o'clock in the morning to get back for the fifth quarter, and my Jags won. That made it even better. As Coach will tell you, he loves the Cowboys, but he's all in on the Jaguars now at this point in his life. Dave Campo, our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, I will see you Sunday, and I certainly, certainly hope you, myself, Leon Searcy, we are celebrating a division championship out there at Players Grill. I'll see you Sunday, my friend. Absolutely, and I just want to go one more week. That's all. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. A win for Jacksonville means a second straight AFC South championship. Let me welcome in my friend Leon Searcy. 
former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime, and you get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how you doing? Doing good, bro. Leon, appreciate the time. 26-0 over Carolina. Boy, they got a lot corrected, it appears, last week. Yeah, you know, I mean, let's just be quite frank. You know, Carolina's a bad team, very bad team. I mean, the Jaguars did essentially what they were supposed to do. You're supposed to beat up on a bad team, and they did. And we played with a backup quarterback, C.J. Beathard. You know, listen, I, I wasn't hoping that Trevor didn't play. Of course, I'm not rooting for anybody who has an injury. But I wanted to see how this team was going to respond with a backup quarterback. And uh, I think for the most part, this team responded well. You know, they rallied the troops. You know, they gave them adequate protection. Uh, we played outstanding on defense, uh, amassing six sacks and stopping their run keeping them offensively under 150 yards defensively. And I think C.J. Beathard did uh, what he was supposed to do. He didn't essentially win the game for us, but he damn sure didn't lose it. He managed the game well, I thought. There's no doubt about that. And there's a couple of things that stood out to me, and you're one of the guys clearly in the city to talk to, you and Baselli being the two best tackles that ever played in Jacksonville. Leon, they're 2-6 and six without Cam Robinson. The Jaguars are 7-1 and one with Cam Robinson. Is that a coincidence, or is there more to that? Well, I, I think Cam Robinson uh, is the best offensive lineman on the team, in, in my assessment. I think he brings a new energy that this offensive line has been missing, which is attitude. Um, you know, he has a little attitude about him. He has a little toughness about him that could be contagious amongst the offensive linemen, you know. So I think that's a good thing. And, you know, I, I was saying this in the, when we was on the fifth quarter. I mean, I had absolutely no problem with what he did with ripping Derrick Brown's helmet off. It's probably the toughest thing this offensive line has done all season. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, Cam Robertson is, uh, is a guy – who brings a little attitude, a little swagger, a little toughness to the offensive line, which is good because, quite frankly, over this four-game skid, I mean, this offensive line has been pushed around a lot. Former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jaguars, Leon Searcy, here with us on Hacker After Dark. Cam Robinson was very good last week, and I agree with you, Leon. I like that little toughness, the the attitude, the moxie, whatever you want to call it, mixing it up with Derrick Brown. And by the way, Cam knew what was up. The Jaguars were up 26 with five minutes to go. He knew that he wasn't going to matter, so he wanted to you know show that toughness, and I certainly appreciated that. Leon, a couple of records fell last week for the Jaguars, too. Let's begin with Evan Ingram, only the second guy ever in a Jaguar uniform to catch 100 passes in a season, uh, replicating your uh, former teammate Jimmy Smith. And more impressively to me, Leon, he's only the eighth tight end in the history of the NFL to catch 100 passes in a year. Just speak on Evan Ingram and the impact he's had for the Jaguars. Well, you know, I mean, he's come a long way. I mean, I, I think that coming to Jacksonville last year and getting a long-term deal, I mean, resurrected his career, to be quite honest with you. I mean, here's a guy who was a former first-round pick who was essentially booted out of New York and left for dead. And, uh, I mean, we, we Jacksonville, we resuscitated him. You know, he had an outstanding year last year. And then this year, you know, he has over 100 balls. He gets, he gets See, that's how you respond to when you get a, when you get a big-time contract you don't you don't become content and become comfortable. I Man, you go out and do what he did. You go out and you get a hundred balls, and you know, and then that's that's 
to be applauded, to be quite honest with you, because there's a lot of guys who get the money and disappear. Not this guy. This guy gets the money, gets paid rightfully because of outstanding season he had last year. And then he comes back and he replicates that and even does better than what he did last year. So he's to be applauded for staying focused, staying in tune, being a professional and getting the job done. In almost 30 years of Jaguar football, Jimmy Smith, Evan Ingram, that's the list of guys that have caught 100 passes in a single season. On the defensive side of the ball, Leon, Josh Allen broke Calais Campbell's single-season sack mark. Josh Allen now 16 and a half sacks. He's third in the NFL, only a half sack behind T.J. Watt and Trey Hendrickson with one week to go. You went up against the greats in the league back during your day. Why has Josh Allen been so effective this year? Well, I mean, he's I mean, he's grooving right now. He's he's feeling real confident. I mean, uh, he's in a zone. I mean, uh, he's he's the type of guy that feels that at any time you give him the opportunity, he can get to the quarterback, and essentially that's what he's been doing. You know, uh, much is to be said about the fact that his contract here, which is you know, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I mean, he had an outstanding rookie there, and in the last couple of years, he kind of faded away. He didn't you know didn't wasn't as productive. Then he goes to this contract here, and he goes and he balls out. That's what he's supposed to do when you want the bag. When you want the Bosa bag, you go out and you put up 16 and a half sacks. So, uh, and I also want to, you know, he gave a shout out to uh, Calais Campbell once he broke his record. And, and I've always been a proponent of guys who come into the league and they find mentors. You know, when I came into this league as a first round pick with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, I had guys that uh, mentored me and taught me how to be a professional. You know, the guy, the likes of uh, Duval Love and Damani Dawson and Carden Hasserig and Tunch Ilkin. I mean, I had the kind of, I had the illustrious career that I had because of those guys that taught me at Pittsburgh. And I, I think the same thing factors in with Josh Allen. You had a Calais Campbell. You had a Calais Campbell to, to take you underneath his wings and teach you about being a professional, teach you about the game and how to and teach you about longevity. You talk Calais Campbell's been in this league 16 years. I, you know, 16 years is a very long time to be productive and, uh, you know, I think Josh Allen wants to, to be in this thing for the long haul. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, with Calais taking him under his wings, I'm sure he did the thing, same thing with Trayvon Walker. And Trayvon Walker right now is having a good career. He's having a good he's having a good year. I mean, he has nine sacks and, you know, Josh has 16 and a half. I mean, they're both formidable right now. We saw how far that uh, Trayvon Walker has come this year. I mean, from not even appearing in games early on in the season to being disruptive as he is. So, you know, he's to be applauded. Uh, for all his success, but also you've got to take in and factor in the fact that he had an outstanding teacher in Calais Campbell that got himself ready for it. A couple of more for former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, you mentioned Trayvon Walker. He is clearly getting better. My question to you is why? What has changed in the last month and a half? Well, I mean, a lot has changed. I mean, his, his attack points uh, on, on um, offensive linemen has changed. And also – you know, there's something that we talked about early on in the season is that uh, he seemed to be straight up and down when he goes against offensive tackles, but he seems to be a matchup nightmare when he goes up against guards. So what, you know, what, what Mike Caldwell or maybe Brinson Buckner is seeing and Trayvon Walker is that uh, most of the time when he's going up against guards, uh, he's, a mes- he's a mismatch. You know, uh, guards don't tend to move as fluently as tackles do. And, 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 and Trayvon Walker being six. You know, six six, uh, two hundred and seventy some pounds. I mean, he's a matchup nightmare nightmare for most guards, and I think that the the Jaguars are 
uh, using that to his advantage. I, I watched the game against the Panthers a couple of the times when he was over the guard, where he beat the guard on one sack that he got in by just simply using his quickness and hands and getting around him. So, yeah, I think moving him around, not letting him have just one set point where he can move around and, and go up against different players. Uh, where there might be a mismatch. I mean, that they, I think that plays into his advantage. Leon, it's almost deja vu. Week 18 last year, it was win and you're in, lose and you're out. Jaguars, Tennessee. Same exact situation this year. This time the game is in Nashville. From a player's perspective in that locker room this week, what's the vibe for the Jaguars knowing they're in a win and end scenario? Well, hack is strictly business. It's strictly business. This is a playoff game. I don't care what their record is right now. I mean, the Tennessee Titans are in the way. And it starts right now today, Wednesday. It starts right now in preparation. You, the intensity of practice and preparation has to increase. This is a playoff game. This is essentially a playoff game for the Jaguars. I don't care what the Tennessee Titans are playing for. It doesn't even matter. We're playing for the right to get into the playoffs. And if they are not well-equipped to handle what we're bringing to the table – in the hell with them they're in the way that's the way this that's the approach they're in the way and i've watched this tendency titan team against the houston texas and they're awful and the jaguars don't go in there with the mindset of getting these getting this team up out of there they don't win this game they don't deserve to go in the playoffs in my opinion leon amazingly in your 11 year nfl career i don't believe you were ever on a team that was below 500 and that's absolutely crazy to think about um, but Tennessee, to me, I'm a little concerned in this regard. There is no tomorrow for them, right? I mean, they're cleaning out their locker on Monday. They're going to be in Cancun on, on Tuesday. You know, it's the arch rival Jaguars coming in. It's like the Jaguars and the Colts two years ago. Jacksonville had nothing to lose. Indy had everything to lose. Jacksonville put a number on Indy. Is there a concern for you that Tennessee, Derrick Henry's final game in Nashville, and everything that's going into this, that Tennessee could play the role of spoiler. I mean, they could, but that's only if the Jaguars let them. I mean, you've got to jump on this, especially when you get on the road, you're going to be in a hostile environment. Your job is to take the crowd out the game quick and take this team out the game quick. That means you got to, with every chance you get an opportunity with possessions, which are so precious, you've got to score. You've got to score points. You've got to score touchdowns. You've got to score field goals. You got to knock this team out early. You've got to you've got to take away any hope that they may have of winning this game. And the only way you're going to do that is that you've got to be about the business of punching them in the mouth from the first snap to the last. Get them out their element real early and get the crowd out the game. And this team is yours. You, but if you make it a but if you if you go in there and you sleepwalking and you're tiptoeing and it's a game in the fourth quarter, then you're giving them the opportunity to send you home. You've got to knock this team out early. You've got to take away any hope that they may possess to win this game or else it's going to be a grudge match to the very end. Leon, we'll get a prediction out of you in one moment as we wrap things up with Leon Searcy. It's weird, right? It's week 18, yet the Jaguars are starting to get healthy. Unfortunately, Jamal Agnew's the outlier, but Christian Kirk, his window opened today. Zay Jones back on the practice field. Trevor Lawrence doing a little more. The defense is the Jaguar defense. They're probably as healthy on that side of the ball as they've been the entire year. As awful as the injuries have been over the last six weeks, all of a sudden, Leon, at the very end of the year, man, they're starting to get some guys back. 
which is important. You know, I mean, listen, a, a lot a lot had to do with the fact that that four-game skit had to do with the fact that, you know, we weren't very healthy. We were losing a lot of different components, key parts to our offense and our defense, and uh, I'm not making any excuses for them, but, uh, you know, our personnel was low. And this, the, what's good is that right now that, you know, with this game, with this opportunity to beat the Titans going into the playoffs, if you can get back some of those key components, if you can get back the – the Zay Jones and the Christian Kirk, you can get back to Walker Littles and the Ezra Clevelands and all those kind of guys. Now you now you got something, you know, you 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 know, your chamber is loaded now because and you you're not shooting blanks. I mean, now you've got you've got a you've got a holster of weapons that you can use against teams. So that's gonna be key. That's gonna be key for us moving forward, especially in these playoffs, but you got to get there first. You, you got to get to the dance. Then, then when you, once you get to the dance, you just see what happens. All right, Leon, you, myself, the head coach, Dave Campo, we will have the fifth quarter from Players Grill Mandarin on Sunday, two hours after the Jaguars and the Titans go final. What do you think? Are we celebrating a division championship on Sunday evening? <laughs> I, I I believe we are hack. I, I believe the Jaguars will win the game uh twenty to ten. We will absolutely take it. And and quickly, what will that say about Doug Peterson if they do win the game on Sunday? Two years as the Jaguar head coach, two division championships. First time it would have happened here since you played back in ninety eight and ninety nine. Well, I mean you know, I mean, listen, I, I believe Doug Peterson has a, a, a – I think Doug has a, a finger on the pulse of this team. I think he knows this team better than anybody else does. You know, I, I believe that uh, he's a player's coach, but uh, he's a stickler on on discipline, you know, doing the right things at the right time. And I think he, for the most part he puts his team in a position to win ball games. you know. I mean, um, it's not an easy job to be the leader of men. And then in order to be the leader of men, you have to be believable. And then once you're believable, you have to prove that your your method, your methodology is going to work. And I, I, I think he did that last year because I remember so many guys. I remember guys talking about the fact that after they lost that game to Detroit, that, you know, they came into that meeting room and he, he assessed that, okay, we're not out of this. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do that. And I know a lot of players were looking at him crazy, but he never gave up hope. And then to see that manifest, those wins manifest to the point where you are now, where if you beat the Titans during the playoffs and then they win the game, I mean, that, that carries a lot of weight uh, with this team, with this very young team where you have a coach that believes that much in you, even at the most low, the lowest part of the season that he believed enough in you to write the ship and get it done. So I think that I think that's even more prevalent now that this team started out so good at eight and three, and they won a four games, they won a four game skid, and I don't think that he, I don't think that he changed at all. I think he the same philosophies. Hey, we got to get a grasp of this. We got to get a hold of this. We're going to be just fine. We're going to get healthy, and when we go in the playoffs. We're going to make some noise. So I, I think that the fact that Doug stays the same, that he doesn't fluctuate whether wins or losses, I think that's a, that's that's very healthy for a, well, a young team like the Jaguars. You get Leon Searcy every day on prime time. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. And, Leon, I will see you along with Dave Campo on Sunday, hopefully celebrating a division championship out there for the fifth quarter. Appreciate you, my friend. You got it, Hack. 
And thank you to my buddy Leon Searcy again every day on primetime and weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Always love talking ball with Leon Searcy. And, yes, you will get he along with myself and Dave Campo, the head coach, down at Players Grill in Mandarin on San Jose Boulevard on Sunday, two hours after the Jaguars and the Titans go final. My big takeaway of the evening here on Hacker After Dark, well, it's been an amazing six weeks from an injury perspective for Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence has basically been banged up every week. They lost Christian Kirk. They lost Cam Robinson. They lost Walker Little. Ezra Cleveland's been banged up. Zay Jones has been banged up. Tyson Campbell, Andre Sisco. I mean, you name it. They've lost a ton of guys in the last six weeks, which is why, to me, a lot of that four-game losing streak happened. But all of a sudden, here we are at the end of the year, and with the exception of Jamal Agnew, certainly, he's the guy that got hurt last week, and that's a blow, no question. Zay Jones looks like he's going to be getting back out there. Christian Kirk's 21-day window has opened. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's getting healthier. They already got Tyson Campbell back. They already got Andre Sisco back. They already got... Cam Robinson back, Walker Little, and Ezra Cleveland look like they're getting healthier. So here we are. Literally, the season could end on Sunday or the playoffs, which are next week, and the Jaguars are getting to be the healthiest they've been in quite some time. Will that mean anything when the playoffs get here? If the Jaguars make it, I don't know, but it is interesting how banged up as this team was They're reasonably healthy right now for this time of year. As I said last week, that defense, that's the Jaguar defense. Those are your guys. They're as healthy on defense as they have been the entire season. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very, very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, thank you to my buddy Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Thank you to Jason Cole, longtime NFL writer. He is a pro football Hall of Fame voter. Really appreciated Jason hopping on to talk Trevor Lawrence, to talk Jaguars, and as a pro football Hall of Fame voter to give his perspective on the candidacy of Fred Taylor who is a finalist for the first time. If you missed that, we'll send out links to that portion of the interview on social media and on 1010XL.com. Thank you to Tyler Rowland up in Nashville, host of the Locked On Titans podcast, as we got the Tennessee perspective of this matchup up there on Sunday. And Dave Campo, always appreciate the head coach joining us here on Hacker After Dark. We will be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening. And we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.